Thanks, Paul. Yes, Kayla said no this time, right? How she was the uh, table deliverer last time. Yeah, I volunteered for crew last year. I um, worked out in the parking lot. I don't know if you've ever seen those kind of blow-up lipstick-looking things that are about 20 feet tall and flap around. Salem and I were out there. Some of the kids absolutely loved this guy. Others were mortified by it. They're terrified. Like, what is that thing? And ran from it. I don't know what that says about the kids long-term. Probably could do a longitudinal study for someone to say, huh, their response to a lipstick guy probably predicts something about their life. So anyhow, what we're not going to talk about today is the lipstick guy. Um, my name is Dave Hyatt. I'm on the pastoral staff here in uh, the area of missions and local outreach. So global missions and local outreach. And um, so we're going to be, <coughs> sorry, talking about the, the life of Abram. But first I want to ask you a question. Anybody uh, here familiar with the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition? You know, Ty Pennington, the crazy hair, run up, move that bus guy. So my family and I, we would gather around that show um, every Sunday night. I think it was on ABC Sunday nights whenever people watched TV at a given time. I'm going to cough real quick here, so mute that. <coughs> there we go. Um, but we would watch this. We'd roll out the sleeping bags, order pizza, and we would watch uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And it was, it was really, really a ton of fun. In fact, I had the opportunity to even go and serve one of the places. Down in York, there was a young guy who uh, was injured in a gymnastics accident. And um, so they went down there. And if you know the show, they, they look and they find a family that has a need and then they help that family out. So this was the house, the white house there on the, on the left. I guess it's, yes, your left. Um, that was, uh, which looks an awful lot like my house, to be honest, but it was uh, insufficient for this young guy who had a broken neck. He was a quadriplegic. So they, they tore it down and made this house on the right. I had my shirt here. I even got to go down and volunteer, got to paint and carry some drywall mud. They wouldn't let me do much, but I, uh, about two o'clock in the morning was the only shift open. So I went down and helped out. So there's this before and after, and it was really fantastic. But if the only thing the show had about it was like, oh, so here was a house before, and then here's the house after, please, you know, buy our product. You wouldn't, it wouldn't have made much of a show, right? It was the stuff that was in between. That, that got you hooked, that made you want to watch the show. It was not just the, the simple before and after. There was something that was going on. I'm going to get this out of here. It'll be a distraction to me. T-shirt cannon, you know, it's like minor league hockey. But um, we had, uh, so the, the house itself, just the before and the after really is a, is a fun contrast, but it doesn't, it's not a compelling story, right? It's the stuff that comes between that's the compelling story. And we're going to be looking today at... at where God starts his story, his plan of, of saving people and where it ends up and really going to cover the entire Bible, believe it or not, and what happens in between. So we're going to ter- turn first to a passage. I want to tell you about what was going on. Well, stay here, stay here, stay here. I don't want people to read ahead. So God creates the earth perfectly, wonderfully, beautifully, the Garden of Eden was, was a literal place where Adam and Eve lived in perfect relationship with one another, perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with creation. They experienced nothing but abundance and blessing and life and goodness. Unfortunately, 
If you know the story of the Bible very well, you know that just a couple of chapters in, they succumb to temptation. The one thing that's forbidden for them, from them, they, they doubt the goodness of God. They doubt the, 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 that God wants, has their best at heart, that they decide to take for themselves that which was forbidden. And they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they fall into sin. And suddenly in the cal- calamitous fashion, the, the, at the fall of humanity, sin and darkness enter the world and death begins. So within... Ch- just immediately you start to see they're they're exiled from the garden they're kicked out of this place of abundance and prosperity the ground is cursed it starts it says with toil you know the ground won't even grow food for them anymore except by hard hard work and labor their own children become their son Cain murders their son Abel in the field cold-blooded murder we see that the world is spiraling down and Cain's son says if you think my dad was bad I will kill a guy just for looking at me cross it's just a horrible horrible place till we get to the point where in chapter 6 of Genesis very soon after creation it says the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every listen to this listen every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time every inclination inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply deeply troubled so that's the before state that we find ourselves in that's the before state that the bible opens with this glorious glorious beginning crashes down here and from this it gets even worse to a point where humanity says you know we know that god has said spread out in the whole world in the whole universe spread on the whole earth and Fill the entire earth and represent me all over the earth. Make my name great and known all over the earth. That's the, the mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve. Well, we get to chapter 10 and 11 of Genesis, and humanity has said, absolutely not. We're going to make our names great. We're going to stay put right where we want. We're going to stay here. We're going to create a city for ourselves. We're going to build a tower the whole way up to heaven and make our own names great. And they build this tower called the Tower of Babel. They began to build this Tower of Babel. And God's judgment comes on them. He says, look, we're just going to, I'm just spreading them out all over the earth. It confuses the language of humanity and spreads people out across the earth. And so we're, we're in this state. This is the before picture of what humanity looks like. So God's purpose for creation, it just looks like it's all gone to pot. It's all just fallen apart. But... If you've been coming to church for a while, if you've ever read the other parts of the Bible, you know something happens that when we get to the end of the Bible, things have been resolved in this magnificent, wonderful fashion. If we go to the next slide here, we see that after this, so this is from the book of Revelation. So at the end of time where God pulls everything back together, where he says, okay, this is, this is what things are going to look like eventually. Okay, it says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. So just as their languages had been confused and they'd been sent out into the world, cursed and separated from each other, enmity with each other, there they are gathered together, a great multitude. The apostle John sees them so that no one could count from every tribe, every nation, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb so this is the throne of God and Jesus his son standing before the throne they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice salvation 
belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So something has happened in the intervening millennia to bring people back into relationship with God, back into some hopeful state. So this is the before over here. This Every inclination of the heart is only evil all the time. And here we see people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation pulled together and, and glorifying and honoring God and giving praise and singing songs to God with these palm branches. So something has happened. God has fixed what has gone terribly wrong. What happened? What happened? What happened in between? When I was a little kid, I, um, I got stuck in a pond and uh, I started drowning. But here I stand today. Okay, let's go on. No, my brother jumped in and saved me, my oldest brother. You know, you, you want to know. So what happens? What will God do about the situation? What will God do? What has God done about the situation we find ourselves in? We need to be rescued. We need a hero. So let me pray. Father, you know our needs. You know our needs better than we do. Um, we, we think we know what we need, but we often pick the wrong thing. But I, I, we look at the world around us, and it's still broken in so many ways. Um, in some ways, we can, we can look at your grace and your goodness that's spreading. And, um, and yet, we see wars. We see wars in Sudan and Ukraine, uh, Ethiopia, and, um, and sickness and famine spreading. And, and God, we pray uh, we pray that your kingdom would still, would still come, your will would still be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that we as, we, as we sit under the teaching of your word today, as we look together at what you have to say, that we'd learn a little bit more about what it means to be agents of change and agents of grace. In Christ's name, amen. So it could be, one author stated, next, next slide here, that the entire Bible really could be summed up like this. The whole Bible could be portrayed as a very long answer to a very simple question. What can God do about the sin and rebellion of the human race? What can God do about the sin and rebellion of the, of the human race? What, what will be done? How do we get from that, that cataclysmic, horrible vision of humanity to this beautiful place where we are reconciled to God, where people have come into, back into right relationship with him? As I mentioned before I prayed, we need some sort of hero, someone to come. You know, if this was a Hollywood thing, we would, we would think, well, we need, a, you know, Captain America or Thor or if you're a DC person, we need, you know, we need Superman to come in and save the day. We need someone to fix it. We need someone to come in. Well, what we encounter in this, uh, the next chapter and we encounter in the book of Genesis chapter 12, right after the, the Tower of Dabble, Babel, uh, we encounter this. Oh, we're going to go to the slide just prior to this one. Um, this little passage, four verses, and in this we find the beginnings of a new creation. A new, this, this author called it a new world. Ultimately, a new creation begins in this text. The beginning of what God is about to do is found right here in this text. The, the beginning of how God is going to fix everything and make everything right is found right here in the little passage we're going to look at on the life of Abram. When I was a kid, we would go um, from my hometown south of Pittsburgh. We'd, they'd take a field trip up to uh, Three River Stadium, do the Gateway Clipper, and then over to a Pirates game. Pirates are the third best team in baseball right now and getting better. So, hey, just a shout out. I don't get to say that very often. Uh, so, the, um, so we would go up and we would, we would watch the, um, the Pittsburgh Pirates. And this, I think, was the first time I ever realized that sound and light traveled at different speeds. When I was out and way in the, the cheap seats in Three Rivers Stadium, 
I'd see, and, and I'm old enough that it was like Dave Parker or Willie Stargell or Omar Moreno, swing the ball, swing the bat. They didn't swing the ball. They swing the bat, hit the ball, and, I, and nothing for about a half to three quarters of a second. Then you'd hear crack. You'd hear the crack of the bat. You'd see it first, but then you would hear it. The sound, because sound travels 767 miles an hour versus 186,000, you know, you know the deal. It's slower than light. So, um, and similarly, we'll, we'll see the start of something here that's not fully realized until much later. So the next slide here, we'll see that what God does, he said, he intervenes and we find ourselves this little unlikely hero. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham Abram was 75 years old when he set out from, Har- from Haran. So we're going to look here at, the, at this promise, at this guy, and how God began his plan of salvation to make things right, and how this extends throughout history. So first off, we want to get to know Abram, okay? We want to get to know Abram. Who is this guy? Who is Abram? If, you, um, if you've read the Bible, you might know um, that he's the, the father of Israel, et cetera, et cetera. But as he is now, Abram, from, from what we can tell, he's just a guy who's 75 years old. We learn in the chapter before this that he has no kids. His wife is, is barren and he's, they, they can't have children. So he's an old guy with no kids. Um, we learn in the book of Joshua that he, when he lived on the other side of the river over there, he, just, he worshipped idols. So he, was, he didn't believe in, in one God, the God of, the, of Israel. He just believed in idols. He was an idol-worshiping guy. Um, and he probably was, you know, he, he kept animals. He was a, a shepherd or a herdsman. So we have an idol-worshiping 75-year-old infertile shepherd. That's my hero, man. That's the guy. That's I'm putting all my chips on, on, you know, number four, you know, Abram. You know, it's, it, if you're just not who you're backing, this is not, he's not Superman. He's not, you know, even, he's not even Aquaman. Come on. He's just a guy, you know, and he's just so beat up. And you're like, okay, but that's who God says he's going to send his blessing through. So let's just keep moving here. It says that as we go on, God calls Abraham to go. God calls Abraham he says, okay, Abraham, I'm going to make a deal with you. If you will listen to me, all those things that, that follow will happen. But first, I'm calling you to go, Abraham. And when he says, I want you to go from your own land, from where you live, he says, I want you to leave your father and your, your household and your people, everything you know that has given you identity in this life, everything that has given you security, I want you to leave behind. Now, for us, maybe that doesn't strike us as that big a deal. If someone said, hey, you're being moved to Seattle, you had a different job, you have to move out there. Be like, all right, I can do that. I'm, I'm up and gone. But, but just remember the context of the world he was living in. It says that every inclination of every human heart was evil all the time. So things are bad. You don't want to really go out into that neighborhood of the world. Everything, everyone is your enemy. The only people you could really trust were your immediate family, those around you, those who lived with you, those who um, people knew you because they knew your dad and they knew your uncles and they knew your cousins. And like, but you didn't want to venture out into the world. You gave up everything that was secure. You gave up your, your, your ability to earn a living, the land. How could you just set foot someplace and say, I own this? 
This is mine. He had a place where he lived where he could raise his cattle. And God said, leave it. I want you to go. I want you to go. And, to, to the, and he doesn't even tell him where at this point. He says, to the land, I will show you. So he says, Abraham, go. And God says, if you go, I'll make you these promises. Here's, here's what I will, I will commit to you if you obey me and follow me. So he makes seven promises. Seven, seven is this number of completeness in the Old Testament. Everything in the Hebrew mindset, sets of seven. We're kind of a hexadecimal, you know, ten is a great number of completeness. But seven was a number of completeness. So God makes him seven promises. And the first one, he says that Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will make you into a great nation. Now, this is a rather surprising promise to make to a guy who's 75 years old with no kids. Um, and don't think, hey, back in the day, they, they, they thought you could have babies. When they were just as, this was just as shocking a promise to Abram as it would be to anybody. That, but I will make you into a great nation if you will follow me. So secondly, he says, I will bless you. Now, the word blessing is... It's a beautiful, profound, robust word, but we kind of, it's pretty trite. You know, we say it after someone sneezes, you know, God bless you. Um, so, so what does it mean to bless? Now, there, were, there are whole books written, I, you know, the one book I was reading, it had a whole chapter on all the aspects of, of blessing, and um, you'll thank me that I'm not going to recount all those this morning. But I came up with a definition that I like, and it's essentially, blessing is just uh, the God's promise to provide by his presence. So there's some P's there. You can put them. God's promise to provide by his presence. He will go with Abraham. So Abraham can be assured of God's provision because God is going with him. God promises to be present with him and then he will provide for him. It reminded me of a little story. That's why I have this ball up here. When, when my kids were little, we would we'd read to them a book that I still have on the shelf um, called Adam Raccoon and uh, I, I can't remember the, the exact, and the Lost Woods, that's it. Adam Raccoon and the Lost Woods. So Adam Raccoon, as his name Adam implies, represents humanity. And Adam would always hang out with King Aaron. And King Aaron was, was, represents Jesus. He was the, so Adam, King Aaron invited Adam to go on a hike one day. He said, we're going to go on a hike. We're going to um, go and explore a bit. And he tells him, he said, tomorrow we're going on the hike. So Adam spends the whole night packing everything he needs for this hike, putting together everything he could conceivably need. King Aaron shows up and says, buddy, are you ready for the hike? Adam says, I am. I got everything. King says, you don't need any of that stuff. You're with me. He says, no, no, no. I need my stuff. I, I can't go without my stuff. He said, but, but you really, you don't need it. It will just cause you grief. Leave it behind. He's like, no, I, King, I need my stuff. So brings his stuff along. First little stream they come across come across, they try to cross. Adam slips, falls, all of his stuff flies up in the air, into the stream, swept downstream. And, but he was able to retrieve one little ball. That's a red ball, but I didn't have a red one, so I just grabbed this off my desk. So he has this ball, and, and he, that's what he's gathered. And the king is like, well, come on, let's go. He's like, but I'm going to bring my ball. He said, Adam, look, you don't need your ball. You don't need anything. If you're with me, I'm the king. I will make provision. I will do I have everything you need. You just don't need any of that stuff. So Adam, nope, I'm bringing the ball. The king says, as you wish, it will only bring you grief. So the ball, as he's going along, he, he accidentally he's playing with his ball, drops it. It rolls off into the woods, rolls off into this deep forest. Adam goes in to retrieve the ball and is surrounded by ferocious wolves who are about to devour him. A great kid's book, right? Um, so so the, the wolves all come around and 
King Aaron has to come in and save him from the wolves. Come, come in and rescue him from these, these evil wolves. I can picture their red eyes. But um, chases them all off. And Adam finally is convinced to leave his ball behind because the king is with him. So when God says, I will bless you, Abraham, back to my point, I will bless you. He's saying that, Abraham, I will be with you. You don't have to work. Everything that you're leaving behind, you will get. You will get so much more of. I will be your provision. I'll be the one who cares for you, who provides for you. So he promises to, pro- to provide for him. I will bless you. Next, he says, I will make your name great. I will make your name great. So he's just promising that, that Abraham's in, in the nation, as he says he will give him a people, that Abraham will become a, a source of blessing. His name is changed, we'll see a little bit later, from Abram, which means father, to Abraham, which means father of nations. So Abraham's name, we still know. This random 75-year-old shepherd-herding, idolatrous guy is now someone that we pronounce blessing in. So his name would be made great. And surely it has been made, made great. Next, he says, and you will be a blessing. He says to Abram, Abram, everybody who encounters you will be blessed. If they treat you well, you will be a blessing. Abram, everywhere you go, people will be blessed. Everywhere you set your foot, people will be blessed. Everyone you encounter. So we see in the life of Abraham as he interacts with people that they're blessed. Their, their, their livestock seems to be increasing and things. Those who oppose Abraham, on the other hand, they get into some trouble. So you, and I will bless those who bless you. I'm just going to blow through these and I will curse those who curse you. So the people, God says, if if people are your friends, they're my friends. If they're your enemy, they're my enemy. So God is contending that I will, be your, I will protect you, I will walk with you. And the, the key promise that he makes here, he says to Abraham, that I, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Through you, all the nations of the earth. And when it says nations here, it's not thinking of, you know, geopolitical. You know, we have 196 countries. If you go look at a map on the wall, we have our display out here. Say, okay, so it's saying that America and Canada, Mexico, you know, Tanzania. No, it's every nation. So there are 17,000 distinct ethno-linguistic people in the world. And what we looked at there at the, the, the scattering and the Tower of Babel and this confusing of the, confusion of the nations and all this different languages coming in. It says they will all be blessed. And ultimately the blessing of God that you see in the Old Testament is the blessing of his presence. So somehow through Abraham, God is going to bring the nations back into right relationship with him. This is the promise that God is making to this old guy. And if you think it's just a one-off, maybe that just is a weird translation, it's repeated five times in the book of Genesis that God is committed to blessing the nations of the earth, every nation of the earth, through Abram, through Abraham. How on earth is he going to do that? God has set himself to do, this is his mission. This is the, the mission of God is to bless all the nations of the earth. So how does he do it? How does he reverse the curse of Babel, the reverse of everything? How does God carry out this great mission? Well, let's take a survey, a very, very quick survey of what goes on in the scripture. So first, we already mentioned the nations are blessed through Abraham himself. Just Abraham, as he interacts with people, you see, it's like the first ripple of a concentric circle. You know, the first as the rock hits the water, the first ripple out is just Abraham himself, as he interacts with people, they're blessed. 
They're like, he, through interacting with him, through his, they get to see the knowledge of Yahweh. And, and again, to define blessing, it really is, it's to introduce people to the to right relationship with God. They begin to come back into alignment and a right relationship with God just through knowing Abram. They start to see that this is what it looks like to be in right relationship with God, not idols. Abraham is left behind his idols. He's left behind his, what, what else he held to, but he's, he, he's referred to later as a, as a, as a, follower of God. As a, he's become one who believes in only one God and a God who, who responds to the faith of human beings. So Abraham, through his life, he begins this cycle of blessing. Next, Abraham becomes the father of Israel, right? Israel is another name for Jacob, the grandson, but it's national Israel. The people of Israel um, come through Abraham, and, and the people of Israel become a blessing to the nations around him through Israel's existence and mission. Now, I don't know if you've thought deeply about this. I hadn't for, for a very, very long time. I just assumed that God blessed Israel and kind of everybody else was left behind. God blessed Israel. He loved them. They were the good guys. And then all the nations, the Gentiles is what the Old Testament generally calls them. They were the bad guys. They're on the outside looking in. That's not at all what happened. That's not at all what God's intent was, that Israel was to be the, 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 the vehicle through which God blessed the nations. Israel was this place of blessing that all the nations should be able to look at and see, oh, that's how you relate to God. And th- here's just a couple of quick examples. One was, so his great-grandson, Joseph, uh, Abraham's great-grand, he was, he was exiled into Egypt. His brother sold him into slavery in Egypt, and through his life, Thousands and thousands of people's lives are spared because he knows that a drought is coming. God reveals to him that a drought is coming and people will starve to death unless they do something about it. And Joseph reveals what they need to do. And many, many lives are saved. So this blessing starts to radiate out. When the people of Israel are held as slaves in Egypt for 400 years, when they leave, it doesn't just say they left. It says a mixed multitude leaves. Through their freedom and release, they take with them other people. They're not named. It just says a bunch of other people got to leave the captivity of slavery because of Israel. When the law is given to Israel, God says, look, the other nations in Deuteronomy 4, it says they'll look on Israel. They'll look at the laws and your, your great laws and they'll realize you have a good God. The laws of Israel, they dealt, with, they dealt with how to treat the poor well, to treat widows, to treat foreigners among them, how to worship God in a way that didn't involve evil things like child sacrifice and, and immorality at the temples. They will look and they'll say, oh, that's how you worship God. That there's a God who's over the entire world and not just this little region and that little region. So they'll begin to throw away these idols and worshiping in these evil ways and conforming their hearts to God. So Israel was, a, was, a, was to be a blessing to the nations. When the temple was made, there was openness for the, there was a court for the Gentiles, for the nations to come in and to worship. Israel was to be salt and light to the nations around them. That sounds familiar. That's what Jesus said. That's why he came and said, look, you don't hide your stuff under a... This was not just for the Christian church. Before the Christian church ever formed, Jesus said to Israel, you are to be salt and light to the, to the nations. So that was Israel's role. God sent... Um, so there's the missional aspect. And there's a lot of things we could talk about with Israel's role to the nations. But we'll just suffice it to say that God intended that Israel would be a blessing to the nations. But ultimately... Ultimately, the great blessing that God intended to come through Abraham, through Israel, was the Lord Jesus himself, was the Lord Jesus Christ who came. And we, we sung this morning that God so loved the world. God so loved the world 
that he, he gave his one and only son. This was not something um, that, that was just for Israel, but the world itself. And by world, it means world, okay? It means all those people as differently as they can look. God loved them. Jesus showed up. John the Baptist looked at him and said, ah, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He, he, Jesus came, he interacted with, with Samaritans. He interacted with Roman centurions who were, he healed their kids he, he, and their servants. He interacted with, um, with Greeks and Syrophoenicians and all these people and his disciples and the other people were scratching their heads and like, I thought you were supposed to come and help out Israel. He's like, look, Israel was always to be the conduit. It was always to be the vehicle through which God would bless the nations. God had a heart to bless the nations, to care for all people. And until you get to the, the cross itself and God makes a way that everyone through Christ can have a relationship with God. That at, at the death of Christ, there's a unique, uh, there's a unique picture. It says that the, the veil that stood between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place was torn open. That, that now... There was, there was no approaching God through the blood of bulls and goats and sacrifices, but that all the nations of the world, they didn't have to come to a temple or to be circumcised or whatever, but that God could be worshipped anywhere, all the time, by anybody through belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And if you think that's just me reading something back into history or saying this is, here's what the Apostle Paul had to say about, about what, what the promise to Abraham was to look like. He says that Scripture... This is Galatians 3.8 says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So what happened, that, that, that reaching God's commitment, we call it a covenant, God's agreement with Abraham was that if you follow me, Abraham, if you leave that stuff behind, you follow me, I'll begin a path of blessing to all the nations of the world through you. And right here, repeated thousands of years later, this was called the gospel in advance or the good news in advance. So this is how God has chosen to bless the nations with ultimately through the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But this doesn't that blessing, certainly, it happened at a point in time, but what it needs to be, what needs to happen is it has to be communicated, right? It has to be good news that no one knows about is not good news to them, okay? It's not good news to them. If I knew that anybody who showed up here tomorrow at 8 a.m. would get a million dollars, but I didn't tell you, only those lucky saps who happened to come by here would get that million dollars, but if I told you, Come on by. That's, that's good news. And that's the role of the church now. The role of the people of God is to make that good news known. It's to make that good news known. What it says, um, you'll find a, this interesting parallel in, the, in this passage, what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. After he died, he was buried, he rose again. Before he ascended to heaven, he gave this charge to his disciples. He said, go, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's some really interesting parallels to what Abraham was commanded to go, we're to go. And instead of this idea of blessing, it's to make disciples. Make disciples is essentially to introduce them to the relationship with the living God through Christ. 
to make disciples, which is the greatest blessing there can be, to the restoration of the relationship with God and humanity. That's, that's the ultimate blessing that God is looking for, to be in renewed relationship with him. Of all nations, this wasn't something just for Israel. This was to go out to the nations. And I, I will say the disciples didn't always get this. We see some of the first problems in the church are like, so the Gentiles can come to faith in God through Jesus? Yes. Acts 15, there's a big conflict about this. The, the, the disciples themselves, the apostles, even though Jesus said rather clearly, this is, um, there, there's always this tendency both in the disciples and even in us to, to say the blessings of God are just for us, right? We're just going to savor them and enjoy them. It's like, no, they're to be shared. We're blessed to be a blessing. And Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So he sends his people out. He sends them out into the world. And the church is to be this magnificent microcosm of what this will look like. I'll read one passage for you that I um, couldn't fit up here, but it, it says this um, in Ephesians 3. This, this is God's vision of the church. You might not, just as you look at Abraham and say, boy, that's not much of a hero. You might look at, at the church and, and say, boy, that's not much of a plan, God. You're going you're gonna to bring blessing to the world through the church. It's this messed up conglomeration of people who really don't seem to get it right all that often. But here, when God looks at his church, I'm going to read Ephesians 3, 6, and then jump down to a couple other verses, 9 and 10. It says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, that God's intent was now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. His intent was now, through the church, to manifest his wisdom. So this word manifold, it's like, you know, do you ever unfold like something like a, 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 an accordion binder or something? It just, God's wisdom is revealed. The manifold wisdom of God is revealed in the church. That God could take people as disparate and funky and broken as you and me and put us together in one body and do this across thousands of years in different cultures, different places, and bring us all together and say, this, this is my body, and I'm declaring this is my wisdom. I've figured out how to reconcile people. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that I can bring people back together. So I will tell you, candidly, one of the hardest things about teaching this, I just find this fascinating and really, really interesting. But until we know what to do with it, it's, more, it's, it's really not a sermon. It's just an interesting lecture, right? And I heard a lot of interesting lectures on Genesis 12. But figuring out what the heck are we supposed to do about it, that was a little harder. So let me wrap up with a couple of things that, to tell us, to, to suggest to you how you are blessed to be a blessing and how you take on that role in your own life. Well, the first, let me just ask you simply, are you a blessing? Okay. <clears throat> I just mean, is your, is your life, as people encounter you in your workplace, in your school, um, in your, your neighborhood, in your home, your own kids, your own wife, your own husband, are you a blessing? Are you, are, when people come away from interaction with you, is it, a, is it a thing that they're like, wow, that is a person that brought joy and life to me. I'm, from interacting with them, do I feel poorer? relationally, do I feel more wealthy? Do I feel better about who I am as a human being? Now, that doesn't mean we can't have hard conversations with people. In fact, that's some of the most blessed thing we can do. But do you just sit as judge and jury in people's lives, um, grumpy and cross, or do people come away and say, man, I am glad I know that human being? There's a Rich Mullins song that says, in every footstep that we leave, may there be a drop of grace. So 
And that only comes through Christ. And you might say, <clears throat> candidly, Dave, no. That's not my interaction with people. Okay, that's fine. Just come to Christ for, for forgiveness and ask that God begin to change that, change your interaction with people. Say, God, I want to be a blessing to people. I want to leave behind a little bit of Jesus with everybody I encounter. I want them to know God a little better because they, they had a chance to interact with me. Maybe God's opened a door that I can, I can give some of this good news about how good God is, how he's, re- how he's revealed himself to me, to them. So are you a blessing? And if not, okay, God's ready to stand and forgive and to change you. And you're, you're not qualified by how good a person you are, but you're qualified by the call of God to go. Secondly, is there an area uh, to exercise trust? Abraham, we said, was, was called to leave behind everything, right? Everything that gave him identity and purpose, um, those things that gave him safety and security was called to leave behind. My dear brothers and sisters and friends of Hershey Free Church, the, I would say, the biggest idol in the heart of, of us Western Christians, if you are a Christian, if you're not, um, you, you can just tune out. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we value safety and security so much. Comfort, we think, is our manifest destiny. God, has, God must give me comfort or he must give me safety. I know men and women over the world, all over this planet who are... Um, suffering deeply for being followers of Jesus Christ. They don't assume that becoming a follower of Jesus is going to make their lives easy, that it's not going to cost them something, that there's no, um, there's no consequence to being... That, that, so uh, it's wonderful to be a Christian, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't mean God hasn't just said, okay, now you can just take it easy in life and just sit back and make sure your grandkids are close or your grand, you know that everything's going to be wonderful that is not the, the experience of most followers of Jesus over the last 2,000 years. Um, so is there some, some area that you need to exercise an element of trust and say, okay, if I'm, gonna, if I'm going to follow Christ in this area, it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to have to be more generous. I'm going to have to be a step out of my comfort zone to, 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 to let people know who I am as a follower of Jesus, not confronting them or whatever, but sharing the good news even if it's awkward. I might have to move somewhere go someplace. Um, we're investigating partnerships around the world right now in, in three places, Turkey, Tanzania, um, and, and Senegal. I would love to stand up here in a couple years and, and lay my hands on a couple of you guys and say, God has called you and is sending you out um, to reach unreached people. There are 7,000 people groups in the world, over billions of people who don't even know who Jesus is. We should do something about that. That is the call, that those radiating blessings. There's no more blessed thing we can do than to let people know who Jesus is. There's certainly physical blessings that we need to extend to others, and, and we need to do that as a church, and generosity in the way we engage with people. But the proclamation of the gospel is the mission of God that he's left for us, his people. We have to be about that. But I want to leave you with this, with this thought, that, that Abraham was, was our, you know, the, the hero of this story it looked like initially. But Jesus is truly, he's the, he's the true and better Abraham. Abraham left his, his home. He left Haran. He left Ur, the Chaldeans, and he headed down here um, to go and to follow God, to go and to follow his, his voice, to go to this land. Um, Jesus left heaven. He left his throne of grace. He took on flesh and blood, fully knowing that he would be slaughtered. He would be crucified. He would be not mocked and spit upon, rejected by his best of friends, 
for you and for me, that he would lay his life down. And yet, he, um, he did that so he could pour life out for all of humanity. What Abraham started, Jesus has finished. And that, that continues, the, the job is not done, I think we've made clear, but the way is open for us to step into that, that, that river, that stream of blessing, and to be a part of what God is doing in history, to be part of the mission of God. So if you'd like to talk with someone today, um, you'd like to just, just pray about something that's on your heart, on your mind, you can, we'll have a prayer counselors up front that you can come up and talk with. I'd invite you to come up front here, but I'm just going to close this in prayer and then send this out. Father in heaven, thanks for the good news of this gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news that what you began in Abraham, what you began as this work of grace, that we would be a blessing to all nations through you, that you have continued. We know you're going to see it through. You don't stop. You never stop. Everything that you attempt, you complete. So we're grateful for that. Uh, I pray that you'd help us to be people, people on mission, that we thank you that we are blessed to be a blessing in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, friends.